0: Well, welcome to another edition of uh, Supply Chain Next and super excited to have uh, a new friend and colleague, uh, Daniel Stanton, author of Supply Chain Management for Dummies, a very uh, prolific uh, speaker, uh, educator, influencer in the space of supply chain. And we're going to get into it right away with him today and learn a little bit about uh, what he sees in the industry and what he's experienced uh, recently in a uh, recent uh, supply chain uh, management uh, edge conference, and then uh, talk a little bit about some of the future stuff that Daniel sees coming in the industry. So, welcome, Daniel.
1: Awesome. Richard, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here, and I, I love what you're doing with the podcast. So, thanks much for having me on. Well,
0: that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate you coming on and taking the time, and certainly uh, adjusting your set schedule just flying in here to the West Coast. So, uh, and the, the beauty of all these things is we can do it uh, pretty, pretty spontaneously. So, you know, just want to jump right into it, uh, Daniel. I think. Uh, you know, a lot of people who are listening and tuning into this podcast, um, you know, might be familiar with you and some of the work you've done, but not really heard directly um, kind of, you know, who you are and, you know, a little bit of your background or a lot of your background and what got you to, uh, you know, where you are today and, and, and being the author and, and kind of uh, pushing of supply chain for dummies. I'd um, love to hear a little bit about, uh, you know, what, what got you here.
1: Yeah, well, so... You, um you know, supply chain by and large is is a profession of accident rather than one of intent, right? Uh very very few people grow up thinking, Oh yeah, I'm gonna be a supply chain professional when I grow up, right? My kids, you know, want to be firemen and truck drivers and fly airplanes and be doctors. But um so I what what happened with me is is I just um I, I had a lot of jobs. I really I liked working and I, I got um some pretty interesting opportunities, probably the most influential one. Uh, I I joined the Navy and and was working with an F-18 squadron and ended up doing an awful lot of logistics and and operations work there. And and that really shaped, um, I'll I'll say, my view and my attitude and, and my style, even when I got out of the Navy. And so you know, when I started getting more involved in IT and engineering, project management, and eventually, you know, more executive management, um, I still, you know, having that influence from logistics and operations, and looking for, you know, that quest of how do I make sense of all of this? How do I put it together in, in a way that um, that I can do something with it, leverage it, and and, and use that as a career, um, and um, I don't know if you remember the, the book, The World is Flat. Okay. Uh, and, and that was the first time I ever came across the, the term supply chain. Um, and, and I just really got hooked on that. And sure enough, a, a few years later, I, I had the opportunity to go out to MIT and, and get my master's in supply chain management. And it was really just a perfect fit for me because it brought all of those pieces together. The, the systems thinking and the IT and the logistics and the operations and a real focus on um, doing something important, delivering something of value to a customer. So that's what what got me into supply chain and and really made me um, fall in in love with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Had the great fortune, I spent a couple of years, uh, more than a couple of years uh, working with Caterpillar, which has Mm -hmm. just an amazing supply chain. Um, And through that, got pulled into working with uh, a lot of the, the leading supply chain teaching and research institutions around the world. And so kind of had um, one foot in, in each camp, sort of in the, the practitioner side and in the academic side. And that's where I'm, I'm comfortable and where I've tried to stay ever since.
0: Nice. And, and I mean, well, first of all, uh, F-18 squadrons to supply chain. <laughs> not, not, that's your typical yeah. uh, background or transition. So that's, I mean, that's fascinating. And most people probably don't even realize that. Um, but, you know, when you were at MIT, that's an interesting one. I mean, Yossi, um, oh, Yossi who's the professor there? Um, Yossi Sheffi. Yep. There you go, Sheffi, exactly. I've, you know, I've run into him in a couple of conferences. I think he was at the supply chain conference. Was he at their, there at that time, one. And then two, uh, you know, how has the program even at MIT changed, you know, from when you kind of got there? I mean, it must have been really different back. I'm assuming this is in the 90s.
1: Yeah, uh, later than that. So I, I went through the MIT program just a little over a decade ago. Okay. And I was right around the 10th class to come out of the program. Wow. So um, Yosi actually is the one that created the program. The, mm-hmm. the history as I know it is it, it started off as a master of logistics over in the civil engineering department. And, and a big paradigm shift was to... Um, Instead of thinking about the roads that freight and passengers were traveling over, to actually think about the freight and the passengers that were traveling over the roads and and how you design infrastructure um, to to really meet those needs and drive the economy. Mm -hmm. So Yossi spearheaded that um it it didn't stay in the civil engineering department for very long it it ended up moving over to systems engineering Mm -hmm. um because so much of of what happens in supply chain is really about looking at a business as a system and Mm -hmm. it's it's been there ever since um some of the pieces that were in place when i was there are are still more or less exactly the same as they were today they they run around 30 students a year through the on-campus program in Cambridge, mm-hmm. right, right across the river from Boston. Um, when I was there, we had a, a satellite program in Zaragoza, Spain. So rather than growing the program from 30 students to 40 to 50, what they did is they opened up satellites and mm-hmm. and, and uh, created, you know, the, the the thousand blossoms, if you will. So when I was there, they had one which was in Zaragoza. Today, they have a bunch. They've got them in China, they've got them in Luxembourg. Um, and so uh, the program has grown and become a lot more global. Malaysia as well, I should mention. And then the other thing that they've done is, is they've taken a lot of the content and they've put it online, one of these um, massively open online courses. So um, you can now do basically the supply chain content out of that master's program online if if you want you can do it for free if you want to get a credential for some recognition you got to pay a couple hundred bucks for each of the classes so that they can verify you and and, uh, grade your stuff but i think all in it's like twelve hundred dollars to do what they call the mitx micro masters in supply chain management so that is radically different um and, and an opportunity that, you know, didn't exist, you know, right. back in my day, it was, you know, pick up the wife and the pets and move, move to the big city.
0: Right. And the, um, so uh, what's fascinating about that, and I didn't realize that, that the supply chain program itself is you know barely 10 years old. Um, I mean, that's got some interesting parallels to the importance of supply chain and what we're seeing now in, in the rash of education that's coming out in the um, emergence of thought leaders like yourself, and it's gonna lead me into this next question. So having been through that or at the very ground level, and it's not that supply chain is new necessarily, but the or, uh, formalization of programs like this and structure coming out of MIT and now some of the other schools, University, university of Arkansas that we see, uh, Danny and his work there, um, you know, now it's becoming much more prominent. You know, there's actually now applicants going to these things and getting turned away. Um, so that's, that's an interesting kind of side note now in that experience, in that at the ground level, what prompted you then to go out and want to write a book on this? Right.
1: Uh, I'll just catch you real quick. So I did the program about 10 years ago, but the program is about 20 years old, Okay. but it was one of the first. And so you're, you're right. It's absolutely a new discipline. And, um, you know, there's a little bit of debate about it, but most folks agree. The first time the term supply chain management was ever used and written down was, um, in 1983 or 1984, in a paper mm-hmm. by a, a consultant, um, and, and I think actually it's probably more than a coincidence that that was right around the same time that the PC came out, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, back, back to your your question on the book. So one of the things that had happened along the way, as as you said, I mean these these programs are new, um, and which is a lot of fun because when there's something new, you have lots of opportunities to innovate and be creative, and that mm-hmm. that's an environment that I love working in so um when i was working with with caterpillar i was at the headquarters in peoria illinois and i was partnering with universities around the country and around the world on on various research projects and and recruiting efforts but uh, bradley university you know right there in peoria um didn't didn't have a a a supply chain program to speak of and they really wanted to create one and so i got pulled in as a, a part of the team to to I'll say create the vision for, for what this program would be and how it would evolve at the undergraduate and the graduate level. Mm-hmm. And, and once we got the pieces in place, um, the the head of the marketing department where, where the course that was going to be a certificate program to start with was going to be offered said, okay, well, you know, you've done all this work to, you know, get us here. We're, we're going to start the program. Now you're going to teach the introduction, introductory course. Right. And, and so uh, it, it's a pretty sneaky trick, but it was effective. And so at that point, I had to go on the hunt and say, okay, well, if I'm going to teach an introduction to supply chain course, what do I think people need to understand? How do you how do you get them started? How do you give them a broad perspective without without going too deep, but genuinely giving an understanding of the complexity and how the pieces fit together? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went, you know, I went on the hunt through all of the textbooks and all of the books that were, you know, sort of commercially available for for retail stuff. And what I found is I just didn't think any of them were appropriate for what I was trying to do. And so.
0: And when you I say it, it wasn't, it I, wasn't appropriate, was it because it wasn't I, contemporary? It wasn't updated? What, what wasn't appropriate about it since supply chain has been around for sure. so long?
1: The thing that is different about supply chain versus what we had before 1983, 1984. You know, we, we went through this period where, where we broke organizations into silos. And and we did this because it made sense, and it was easy to manage, and it was the way that leaders were taught to organize their teams when they went off to the Great War. And they came back to run corporations, and they said, okay, all the people that are involved in buying stuff, we're going to put them in an organization called the procurement organization or the purchasing organization. And they're going to develop deep subject matter expertise there, and that's where they're going to spend their whole careers. They're going to come in as analysts they're going to get promoted to managers and directors and eventually if they're really lucky they might become the chief purchasing officer the vice president procurement meanwhile the logistics folks well they will come in as logistics analysts and they'll work their way up to you know maybe someday being the vice president of logistics and the same thing in operations but the challenge with that when you create those silos is that so many of the decisions that you have to make between those three functions of purchasing logistics and operations, they they are interdependent, right? So, if the purchasing folks are trying to negotiate a better price from a supplier, for example, I mean there are only so many levers you can pull, right? I mean, you can you can negotiate for a larger quantity, so you get a discount. You can negotiate for lower quality. Um, you can go to a lower cost country, right? Um, so you start getting labor or materials arbitrage. But any one of those decisions is going to have impacts on logistics and operations, right? Because if you're buying larger quantities, oh, wait a minute. Now we need more warehousing space to store it. We need more people to to move that stuff around. We're going to have more working capital tied up in inventory. Um, if, if you go to a, a lower cost country that's further away to source the materials, well, guess what's happening to your logistics costs, right? Now you need to ship it further. And not only the transportation costs, but, you've got working capital tied up in that inventory that's sitting on the ocean, right, in, in your pipeline. So that, for me, is what's new about supply chain management, is rather than looking at any of those three functions in isolation, it's really understanding how interdependent they are, that, that they have to be managed as a system. And so for me, an introduction to supply chain management has to do that it has to take a balanced look at all three and and honestly if you look at most of the textbooks that have been out there for a while um, it's a logistics textbook that got rebranded as a supply chain textbook and they added a chapter or it's a procurement textbook that got rebranded as supply chain and they added a chapter but fundamentally the dna of those books was still a deep dive in one of the areas rather than a broad view across
0: all three and that actually leads really into the evolution of supply chain and kind of, you know, where we're going with the conference that's happening. Um, coming up with the Council of Supply Chain Management, um, you know, Professionals Edge, uh, you know, that we just participated down in um, Anaheim. And, you know, I think one of the fascinating things there is just how people are looking at things differently. So not only has supply chain taken a more holistic look, it's not just procurement, it's not just logistics. But it is a vital piece to the overall enterprise. Um and, and no longer can it be held in isolation, but it has to interoperate with finance and marketing and sales and operations. So kind of getting into the edge conference and where that's going. Um obviously we met there and and, and you know, for me it was just an amazing conference to participate in. But I'd be very curious to kind of hear your um, you know explanation is you told me about the evolution of even that group of people and how it's changed over time and how it's kind of analogous to this even educational content and evolution that's happening. because so I think that's all then is going to point to what does supply chain look like in the future. So you know, what, how did you view kind of the edge conference and what was going on and you know, just your thoughts and observations? Yeah,
1: no, that's absolutely true. So what is today the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals? A few years ago, well, it, it started out 30-ish, I think, years ago, is the National Association of Physical Distribution, which rebranded as the Council of Logistics Managers and then eventually the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals. So very much like what's happened with the textbooks, you, you had this community of practitioners and academics focused on transportation and inventory distribution who who got the bigger picture. And, and with CSCMP in particular, there have always been these close ties to the universities. And um, I'll say, I think Michigan State probably gets a ton of credit for for being one of the real pioneers of what today, you know, we look at as supply chain management. Um, and Don Bowersox, who was one of the the founders of CSCMP, was a professor up at Michigan State. E- even today, you know, when you go to the CSCMP conference, we we talk supply chain. Um, there are folks in the room who have a focus on purchasing. There are folks in the room who have a a focus on operations, but I I think you'd agree there. It it still, it still feels like there's kind of a a stronger logistics flavor, right? Maybe, maybe 60% logistics, 20% procurement and 20% operations. If I was to make up numbers for that, um, and and I don't think that's bad. And you know, part of it for for me is I I come out of a logistics background anyway, so that's probably why I feel pretty at home there with those kinds of conversations. But yeah, CSCMP is um, just does a remarkable job and and is is known for being the place that the practitioners and the academics come together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you, you'll sometimes hear the criticism from the practitioners that the conference is too academic, and you'll sometimes hear the the criticism from the academics that that it's too practical. Hmm. Um, and that, to me, tells me they're probably striking a right th- about the right balance.
0: Right, right. And and you know, kind of picking up on that. And certainly, one of the things that I was there for is certainly the role of technology and how it's influencing all of this. Right. So. I mean, I think it's fascinating to understand that supply chain is evolving uh, when you think about how important it is. I mean, even for me as a relative new practitioner in supply chain and certainly from a technology lens, um, I, I'm just fascinated at how large and expansive it, is, expansive it is both for the enterprise and across all these industries. Yet, I don't want to say immature, that's the wrong term, but it, it's not at the same level that you know, you talk about, or even I observe that it should be, you know, which is comparable to any head of marketing or sales or operations. I mean, it should have that leadership, uh, you know, voice there in any enterprise. So, you know, but with technology, that also seems to be another thing that just, you know, maybe it was the PC that inspired the change of the program, but certainly the internet and all the technology things that we see today on display, um, are beginning to be heavily looked at in supply chain when you thought m- maybe uh, naively that it had already been there, but it isn't. So, h- how did you yeah. view that, or how do you view that? Because you're a technologist too. I mean, you're—I don't want to underscore or yeah. you know underplay that. I mean, you're a startup guy. You've got a lot of technology plays that have been out there. Um, I mean, how do you see technology playing in not only this conference but this community? Sure. So, uh,
1: you know, I I, I think it's good to have that conversation framed up around kind of the what we do and the, how we do it. Right. Fundamentally, the, what we do isn't changing that much. We're, we're delivering value to customers, right? They're, you know, we're finding somebody who wants something We're we're negotiating a price at which they're willing to, to buy it. and We're getting it into their hands. And, and um, would you say, I'm sorry to interrupt you,
0: but would you, would you say that that's yeah. kind of universal though too? Cause when you say that, and I think this is another thing that what you described is a framework that can apply no matter what industry or company you're at. It's sort of like the job of finance, right? Exactly. I mean, finance is very similar no matter exactly. what industry.
1: Yep. Yep. So if, if if you step back and you look at my definition for supply chain, right? So my definition for a supply chain is a complex system made up of people, processes, and technologies that is engineered and managed to deliver something of value to a customer. That works for everything, right? Yeah. That works for, you know, selling iPhones and it works for disaster relief. And, you know, it it, it works in for, for services, like like you're saying in finance. You know, you're creating a system to deliver something that a customer values. You know, I I, I guess the one caveat, you know, I I I said early on, I don't think the what is changing that much. I think a lot of it is the how the, the one place where I guess the, the what does change is when you start looking at digitalization, right? Where products go from having a physical form to being a purely digital, digital product. Um And, and you know, the classic example is going from, you know, LPs to CDs to um MP3s, right? Where there's just, there's no physical product anymore. They're, somehow the what is fundamentally different, right? You've you've eliminated the physical product, but the value that you're delivering in that case really is still the same, right? You're, you're delivering music, you're delivering entertainment. So in terms of the how, right. And and kind of the, the meat and potatoes of supply chain management. um, When I I look at the technology in general, um, I can put all the technology into one of three buckets, um related to the, to the functions that that we perform in the supply chain um and it's either planning software or it's execution software or it's visibility software right it either helps us predict what the future is going to look like um or it helps us make decisions and take action in real time or it gives us insights about what's actually going on um so that and and those all feed into each other right um There are feedback loops in there. So, you you know, if we we go back to that talk where I I think it's more than coincidence that supply chain grew up alongside PCs, supply chain software for a lot of years was really planning software, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Material requirements planning, enterprise uh, resources planning, transportation planning. Um, You know, it's about trying to to predict the future, trying to plan the future. And we, we reached a point where we had enough confidence in the software that, that we started letting it make decisions. Right. And, and then we really truly started to see execution software where you put a bunch of stuff in and, and the computer just decides what to do and makes it happen. And that, that ties in really closely with automation, right? Both, both artificial intelligence and, and robotics. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we've seen a ton of that, you know, you go into to factories or distribution centers these days, um, and the amount of automation is just overwhelming, right? Um, the part that I think is moving the fastest right now is the visibility stuff, right? And that ties in very much with IoT, right? And improvements in sensors and improvements in communications like 5G. You know, you, you start to have an appreciation for how many assumptions that, that we typically make in a supply chain about where things are. Uh, whether inventory counts are accurate, whether trucks are actually following the route and, and, you know, going to arrive when they're supposed to.
0: Why Um, do you you think that, I mean, that's an interesting point to kind of, you know, uh, I'm going to double click on that, where visibility is or that transparency or whatever you want to call it, however you want to frame that up, seems to be almost like a, a, a table stakes, right? Like if you don't have that, how does everything else you just kind of mentioned at the higher level, the higher abstracted levels of, you know, automation, controls, uh, predictive, machine learning, AI. If you don't have visibility of, of what you own, what it's doing and, and where it's going, how can you even have that other stuff work?
1: It, it's exactly right. The, the problem is visibility costs money and nobody could figure out how to spend money on it um, because, you know, what, what's the ROI for visibility? Um, it takes a pretty enlightened executive team and, and shareholder community to go, yeah, go spend money putting sensors on a bunch of stuff that's already working, right? So that you can like have data to confirm that it's working. Um,
0: but doesn't that doesn't that um, beg the question? I mean, I know in my direct experience, when I when I was able to do that, and I had a pretty wide berth and latitude when I was doing supply chain um, at eBay, um, it, that visibility led. To immediate hundreds of millions of dollars of cost avoidance or savings, or you know, getting rid of excess equipment and streamlining, you know, getting lean, just in time kind of inventories. You know, aren't there enough case studies right. nowadays to to kind of prompt people to go that direction? Because again, I, I think that's a consistent theme at the conference as well. Too visibility, you know, people were talking about that as well.
1: Yeah, I think it's getting easier. I think people are just getting to the place that you you know, the supply chain folks, you know, we hold ourselves to a pretty high standard when we're implementing projects and, and predicting savings. Right. And so it, it's hard when you're going into the unknown and it's something you haven't done before. And you don't have case studies. It sort of makes sense, but you know, at some point you go, you know, trust me, I think it's going to you know, give us insights that will help us save money. But we're, you know, you, you also get to the place where enough other people have started to do it that, you know, then, then you're not the early adopter anymore. And and now you're kind of a fast follower. Um, and I, I think that's kind of where we're at with visibility. That, you know, now people are starting to ask the question, you know, how come, um, you know, I can mail a package with FedEx or, or UPS or the post office and know, you know, exactly every time it hits a distribution center. But, you know, when I have a truck with $500,000 worth of cargo on it, I'm kind of guessing when it's gonna show up at the dock and I have no idea where it is in the meantime. Right,
0: right, right. and and do you think that that is then one of the undercurrents that you saw again at the conference in, like if you were to kind of look at the sort of technology and I think it also mirrored what you described earlier where logistics is kind of the hot thing right now. I mean, at least when I walked the show floor, I would say just like you said, 60, 70% of most of the showcase there was around logistics or logistics automation but I didn't really see anything pertaining to visibility or asset tracking, I mean, a little bit here and there, but not with the emphasis you would think would be there if that's a big gap still.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of pieces there. So there's some stuff on the software side and there's some stuff on the hardware side. So on the hardware side, um, I'll I'll put in the plug for one of my favorite startups, a company called Tive, um, which is out of Boston And, and like us, they were a tech stars company. Um, and, and Tyve has a, a very small tracker, you know, basically the size of a cell phone that, um, you know, you, you put it in a truck, you put it in a pallet and, and you know where that thing is, wherever it goes in the world. Um, that's the sort of technology that you just go, how, how can everybody not already be doing that? Right? Um, so Tive, I, I think just has a really great solution and, and technology there. So, um, that's on the hardware side. I guess the other one on the hardware side, and I didn't talk to any of these folks at the conference, but you know, there's, um, in the U.S. in the last, uh, few years, there's been this whole movement around electronic logging devices, which are, are primarily, uh, intended to track driver hours and, and make sure that they're, uh, complying with the, the hours of service rules, not, not driving more than they, they should. Um, but, but those, uh, the ELDs also provide lots of, of data that, you know, works for visibility, right. That you can use to identify where, where trucks are. So then, you know, you, you get to the software side and, um, there, there are several companies there that are doing interesting stuff around visibility from different angles. Um, the one that I spent the most time with, uh, at, at conference was freight waves and, um, Freight waves isn't giving visibility to assets per se. I mean, that isn't the focus. What what they're really doing is giving visibility to market dynamics, right? So if you think about managing the supply chain and, and understanding how important your environment is to the decisions you make in in, in real time and, and and ahead of time. So, you know, freight waves is, is looking at prices and, and capacity and tender rejection levels for trucking into and out of markets all around the country and layering over that, um, weather data. Right. So, you know, you can see when the hurricane is coming and how is that impacting, uh, the markets and, uh, all sorts of other, you know, data about like commodity futures. And so that sort of visibility about the environment around you I think is a pretty interesting angle that, that hasn't gotten a lot of attention,
0: but yeah, and that's, the, but that's the,
1: really changes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was
0: going to say, you know, freight waves, you know, big front and center raise a lot of money. I mean, one of the kind of darling, you know, on the road to being a unicorn status. But what's interesting is as you're describing that's, you know, that's the physical world's kind of, um, how should I put this, uh, um, it, it, it's interoperability within the physical world and how you're moving things from A to B, um, you know, is what you're describing, right? Absolutely. The impacts of weather, the impacts Absolutely. of congestion, the impacts of, you know, whatever it is you're moving through cities. Yet you're still not really seeing down into, like you said, what's in that $500,000 in that truck, right? And where is it, what states yeah. it in, you know, and then once it's delivered, has it been delivered? Has it been put into use? You know, what's it being used for? and then tracking it through its life cycle, and then ultimately, you know, I'm done with it. How do I get rid of it, um, you know, on the disposition end of it? Right. I mean, none of that seemed to be even top of mind from what I could gather.
1: No, that, I mean, that that's just not the piece that, that FreightWaves does, right? It, it does start to get into, you know, where Requis is playing and the work that you're doing there, which I find pretty interesting. But, you know, I, I think that that really brings the the conversation full circle to say you know you look at the technology in terms of planning and execution and visibility and you go oh you're doing all of those things in isolation but you really need to be connecting those and then you talk about within each of those categories you've got subcategories where it's inventory planning transportation planning asset planning right and you go, oh, it seems like there's probably some value if we can connect those up too. Right. So that becomes the nirvana, right? As if, if you can get interoperability between planning, execution, and visibility throughout all of the different elements of your supply chain. And then, as you're saying, connect that to the environment and look at it really in sort of a circular economy, mm-hmm. entire lifecycle sort of perspective.